So um, welcome to the Sunday sitting on Zoom at 7.30 for October 2nd, 2022. Um, last, last Sunday sitting, I had somebody gotten hold of me later and, and um, if you remember last Sunday, um, I was quiet for the first 10, 15 minutes of the night. Um, we sat in quiet contemplation at the very beginning. And this person was tuning in on YouTube and thought there was something wrong with the, the sound on her um, cell phone or desktop. So she went, you know, turned it off because she thought that she thought there was an audio problem because I wasn't talking. So and maybe it's a good thing that I'm starting tonight's class off by talking. And what I wanted to talk about was um, like where I'm going with all of this, because I've been kind of just um, um, working my way through it because of the way things unfolded for me. This whole idea of embodied enlightenment. Um, <clears throat> which um, was so new to me uh, that I was struggling just to even explain it. And even in terms of just explaining it, I was trying to figure out a way, like a name for it. Like, how do you... Um, if I can't like give a 30 second description of what I'm talking about, if I can't even give it a name, then um, how do I communicate it to people? And so I was like working on coming up, just, just coming up with a name was, was difficult. And I, looking at how the whole process unfolded for me and what I'm hoping to help others with, uh, I came up with the name Embodied Enlightenment. Well, it, there's something in the zeitgeist. The whole zeitgeist is shifting because suddenly everyone is talking about this. Um, some people call it embodied awakening. Some people call it integrated awareness. Um, but it is, if you're sensitive to it, to if you if you know what they you know if you know it when you hear it, you you suddenly realize that there are a lot of spiritual speakers out there talking about this same thing all at once. So it's like something is being brought down onto the earth plane. And we're a part of that. We, I didn't know about these other people and I just sort of discovered it on my own, in my own way and through breathwork, rebirthing breathwork. Um, most of the others are not doing any kind of breathwork. They're mainly coming from a non-duality, uh, speaking, um, self-inquiry perspective. 
Um, there's a lot of Course in Miracles people come uh, um, getting into this now. And I also, of course, bring Course in Miracles into everything I do. Um, well, so, You know, it's been sort of like a, um, it's like a common thing where somebody, um, someone wakes up, you know, so this is like a metaphor. They climbed the mountain, but they had a ladder that they used to get to the top of the mountain. You know, that ladder would be like a spiritual path. It might be like Zen Buddhism, or it might be Christianity, or it might be self-inquiry, or meditation, or yoga. But So that's the ladder. And they used that ladder to get to the top of the spiritual mountain, to get to the peak, the enlightenment, awakening, awareness. And then after they get there, they have all these people down at the bottom of the mountain saying, tell us how you did that. We want to have that too. And the person at the top of the mountain will kick the ladder away and say, you don't need the ladder. You can just come up here. You don't need the ladder. And the knock on that is the ladder is how they got there. So oftentimes, you know, the ladder is how they got there. But they, once they get there, they tell everybody, you don't need the ladder. But that's what got them there, and that's what got them there in the first place. And so it's kind of um, puzzling and maybe even a little discouraging to the ones following after them. And um, um, You, you see a lot of teachers today, they reach, they reach realization through some process or something happening. But then when they start touring the world teaching people, they never teach the thing that happened to them or the process that happened to them. Um, Now, a lot of times that's because the process that happened to them was intense suffering. Edgar Tolle had basically a nervous breakdown. Byron Katie woke up on the, fl the floor of a halfway house with a roach crawling over her. Um, and so they would like to save you the trouble of going through that. but they don't even really talk about how that experience affected them energetically in such a way as to bring about this shift. They just basically talk about what it is like now that the shift has occurred. And you're invited to compare what it's like for you 
now before the shift to what it is like for them now after the shift and anything that's not the same get rid of you know easier said than done again they had a ladder that they climbed up to the top of the mountain with and now that they're at the top of the mountain they kick the ladder down and they're telling everyone you don't need this ladder which is in a sense true but it's not very helpful so I'm coming at this from a, from a slightly different approach. I use the ladder of rebirthing breath work to get to the top of the mountain, but I'm not kicking the ladder away now and telling everyone you don't need the ladder. But um, I mean, because the ladder got me here and I, the whole point of all of this, why I give sessions, why I teach, why I do weekly Zoom classes is so that people don't have to suffer, so that you can awaken within your own body to truth, joy, and freedom. And I did it. My ladder was rebirthing breathwork. Now that I'm at the top of the mountain, though, I look around, I can see things from here that I could not see when I was halfway up the ladder. And I do see there are other ways of getting here. The ladder coming up that sheer cliff face is not the only way. There's actually a way where you can walk up. You don't need a ladder. The slope of the ground is fairly um, not real steep and you can walk up it. And that's the approach, the conceptual approach, the non-duality approach, um, even the Course in Miracles approach to a, all of this to a certain extent. Um, and so, it, um, and, so it, and, and it's easier than climbing up the ladder. You can just walk up. So that's what people mean that you don't need the ladder. You don't need the path. You, do, you can just come up here. Um, but that path has two um, stretches that are really challenging. Um, one stretch is the razor's edge. There's one stretch of that path where it's very narrow and very easy to fall off. And if you fall off, it will take you probably years, if not decades, to recover. And that refers to the tendency that people have when coming at this from the self-inquiry approach to um, fall off into conceptual thinking, to think they understand enlightenment and to mistake that conceptual understanding for the thing itself. The thing itself is an energetic shift and you will never understand it. 
but you can have such a crystal clear, precise and complete conceptual story in your head of what it is that many people think that's it, they have it, they're done. And they spend the rest of their lives in delusion. And that would be, that's the danger, that's the uh, narrow path, the razor's edge. You, you walk the razor's edge and it's very easy to fall off into delusion. So, you know, most of the, this path that's not steep, that you don't need a ladder for, is fairly easy walking, but that has got that one stretch that's dangerous. And um, even though it's harder to climb the ladder, the ladder is, you know, it's not, it's in fairly good shape. It's not in disrepair. You probably won't fall off. So, um, it may be more work, but in the long run, it may be safer. So that's the one, that's one stretch of this alternate path. And then there's another place on this alternate path where the path appears to be blocked by this big, huge, huge boulder. And the um, it's a strange boulder. The boulder looks like it's part of the path. It, it looks like you could just walk over the boulder. And sometimes it, it, when it seems like you're almost to the top of the boulder and ready to, you know, be, be past it, be, be go over the top and then continue on your way, just as it seems like you've reached the top, um, you slip down a little, and sometimes the boulder even seems to get a little bit bigger. And what that boulder represents is the other thing that keeps you from getting to the top of the mountain on this um, non-duality conceptual self-inquiry path, which is it's all the stuff you're hanging on to. It's all the bullshit, false stories that you believe that you're not willing to let go of for one reason or another. And sometimes it's stories that you can't let go of because you don't even know you have them. You're operating, you're being controlled by subconscious programming that you don't even know is there. So you don't even have a choice of letting it go or not. You, you just hold on to it and, and carry out your programming and you have no idea it's there. So that's why the boulder appears to be a part of the landscape. And when you almost get to the top, but then you slide down a little or the boulder seems to get a little bit bigger, that's the, metaphorical equivalent of, of um, things, conditioned beliefs that you believe that you, you know about, but you're unwilling to let go of for whatever reason.
And so they just keep knocking me back down. But there are still ways around that boulder. And like looking from my vantage point, I can guide people just like on the, you know, razor's edge. Hopefully I can keep you from falling off. Encourage you, tell you things like, um, you know, you're almost to the wide part of the path again, where it gets wide again, and then you won't have to worry about falling off just a few more feet, keep going. And then with the boulder, sometimes like I can see handholds at the top that you can't see. And so I might say, you know, shift over to your right a little bit. And then when you get higher, there's gonna be a handhold that you can put your hand into and, and get stable. So, um, um, that is like helping people along that non-dual self-inquiry path where you have to let go of all of your BS that you tell yourself every day. And with the boulder in particular, especially the parts of the boulder that you are not aware are there, I will be throwing in rebirthing breathwork into the mix. Breathwork, rebirthing breathwork is excellent for, for getting the boulder out of your way, making the boulder fully um, visible so that it's not tricking you, um, making it easier to climb over or, or around the boulder. So um, I'm, I'm talking about how breathwork got me to this place and how breathwork could even help someone following the more traditional path um, um, because they can augment, they could either do just breathwork and I believe, you know, the thing about breath work is, is that it's always good for the, if the person giving you your session, it's kind of an initiative, initiatory type of deal. You can't get any further in your breath work sessions than the person who is giving you sessions. Um, if, if they are not clear on, you know, aspect A or D, there will be subconscious resistance within them that will generate subconscious resistance within you to getting clear. So it, it's a, it's a, like a, 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 a it, it is like a, an initiation. And because like the breath work I mean, I didn't, I did not set out to you to find, to, to get to the top of the mountain with breath work. I was just doing breath work and it didn't, and it actually did not get me to the top of the mountain. What it did was it got me to the top of the ladder and then um, seeing the mountain right there and realizing it was only a step away that step kind of just happened. 
I stepped off the ladder onto the mountain, but I didn't, I didn't do that. It just kind of, it just happened. And so I believe with breathwork, since now I'm there, um, I can provide a safe initiatory space for other people to get there. And that could be only breath work. But again, seeing that there is another path up the mountain for those who want to come that way, I think I can um, make that the two stretches. Most of it's pretty straightforward, but there's those two difficult areas that I think breath work added into the mix that those points at that stage in the person's path would really come in handy. Uh, all right, so I'm, you know, I'm making it sound like breath work is like this amazing thing, which most people these days think of, of breath work as like pranayama or, you know, the techniques they see on the internet. Um, so I think I need to explain a little bit about, like back up a little and explain about how, what's, why rebirthing breathwork does not fall into any of those categories. I mean, now I cover, you know, especially since I do get into those, I teach those on the class because on the Zoom Sunday sitting, I can't do a breathwork session with people, but, you know, that is related to breath work, those various techniques that you see on the internet, like box breathing and four, seven, eight breathing and straw breathing and tactical breathing. Um, that's what the seals call it because they're seals. And and they um, Um, I, um, they use it to stay alert, but not calm, not jittery, but alert when they go into a combat situation. They don't want to be um, jittery and overreacting and, and nervous and jumping at every sound. They want to be calm, cool, and collected, but they don't want to be so calm that they're like you know, getting sleepier. Their awareness is getting dull and they're missing. They're not seeing you know, dangerous threats that they need to see or, or right. So if they want to get in like that zone of, of being awake and aware, but, and, and at, you know, at top peak performance, but, um, um, uh, also, um, calm and centered. So they use a breathing technique, um, basically box breathing and the, you know they call it tactical breathing and so i teach that at the class because if it works for navy seals going into a combat situation it'll probably work for people you know going into their boss's office to ask for a raise right so i'm trying to put stuff out there that people can use in their everyday life so you can learn tactical breathing so you can be calm, cool, and collected when you go in to press your case to your boss for why they need to pay you more. 
and people appreciate that. And all of these breathing techniques, um, um, we now know work because of the effect they have on the autonomic nervous system and especially and particularly the vagus nerve. And that's thanks to the work of the discovery of Dr. Stephen Porges, who um, um, so, uh, well, so I, and so sometimes I talk about his work and what he discovered. And, you know, it's kind of interesting what he discovered. Found out something totally brand new about the vagus nerve in the 1990s that nobody had ever noticed before, even though biologists have been looking at it for like 500 years. And so our understanding of how the breath affects the body, the mind, the emotions, and the physiology has taken a quantum leap because of his work. So, you know, I can't do sessions with people, so I cover all that stuff, and I try to give people techniques they can use in their daily lives to, um, you know, stay um, calm and centered if they're in a stressful situation, relax themselves if they're um, stressed out at night and having trouble falling asleep, all these different techniques for taking control of your own mind and physiology. I teach in Zoom class, but none of them are breath work. If you know box breathing, that's not rebirthing breath work. Um, pranayama is not rebirthing breath work. 478 breathing is not rebirthing breath work. Straw breathing is not rebirthing breath work. Even 20 connected breaths is not rebirthing breath work. Rebirthing breath work is less about using breathing to alter your state. It's more about energy. It's an energetic phenomenon. It's closer to Reiki than it is to any breathing technique that's out there. It's about learning to stream life force energy through your body so powerfully that it you have there's no mistaking that you're that there's energy moving through your body you don't have to sit there and wonder if you're feeling anything or not and it dissolves all the block it, it it dissolves blockages associated these these bolder thoughts these false beliefs that you're carrying around some consciously some subconsciously when it meets that boulder, it begins to dissolve it. And you don't even have to know what the thought is that, that's being dissolved. It will just take care of it. Um, I say it's like Reiki because my first session was given to me by a Reiki master from Germany who was initiated into Reiki and became and and being a Reiki master by um, someone who was initiated by someone who was initiated by Isui, whatever his name was. The, the, in other words, um, 
they were only like one or two, they were only like two or three people away from the root source. So according to the theory of Reiki, this person had very powerful Reiki energy because it wasn't diluted. And so I asked her if she ever gave Reiki to people while she was giving them a session. And she said, not anymore. She said she tried one time, but instead of the Reiki energy going from her hand into them, their rebirthing energy was coming from them going into her hands and going into her body. Because the, so the, the, the rebirthing breathwork energy is like having a super powerful Reiki session, but you can give it to yourself. I mean, if it, you start out learning, learning from a breath worker like me, um, but the goal of it is eventually you can do it on your own and then you can give yourself this super powerful Reiki session whenever you need it. And um, there's nothing wrong with the, you know, the Reiki energy going into the person's hands. It's just that um, when you're giving someone a session, you want to be there fully present for them. Um, uh, like there used to be, and there may still be, like one method of giving someone a session is you just lay down next to them and you start giving yourself a session and tell them to watch you and copy you. And, but that doesn't really work because if you go, if you go into your own session, you can't, you're completely, you know, the rebirthing session is put you in an altered state and you're profoundly relaxed and you're cleansing your body and you really are not in a position to be focusing on your client. So I don't think it's a good thing, good thing to do it that way. So if the person is trying to give you Reiki, but instead the energy is going into them, if they don't, you know, if that, if that master Reiki person had not broken off the contact, eventually she would have gone into her own Reiki session and not been there for the client. So that's why we don't do, that's why you don't do that. But the point is, is um, this person had fairly powerful Reiki energy and yet uh, the um, rebirthing energy um, coming in was a lot more powerful. And that's the energy that I'm talking about that can um, get you up that ladder and get you across the razor's edge and get you over that boulder. It's not, you know, straw breathing's not gonna do it. Um, I'm, let's take a break and come back in about uh, 10 minutes, okay?